This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How you can get them made, how you can make them and how you can try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Hi, I'm Giles Alderson. I'm the director of the psychological horror feature film The Dare and also the feature documentary The World of Darkness, which is out now on Amazon. I'm also the producer of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life and Cassette. I'm currently writing two feature screenplays. And today, I've been filming Boudica. Oh yeah, it's late at night. I'm back at home. It's been a brilliant day. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Because today... We are sponsored by Performance Insurance. The lovely guys at Performance. Hell yeah. And they are insuring this Boudica project we are doing right now through my production company, Fiji Productions. Performance Insurance are the proud sponsors of this podcast and we're proud to have them. They have been providing insurance for the media industry for over 20 years. Offering bespoke policies on both annual and short-term insurance. Go visit their website, um, ashtonlark.com forward slash performance or call them on 0208 256 492. Um, I can't recommend them enough. I love that they're sponsoring this podcast. I love that they're part of this whole process and wanting to help indie filmmakers. So get in touch. Say you know us. Drop the filmmakers podcast name in there. I'm sure they'll help you out. Give you a little deal. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not. Putting words in their mouths and putting it in my mouth. <laughs> speak to Gareth, speak to the team there, speak to Daniel, speak to them all. Lovely people. I can't recommend it enough. Performance insurance. So today's podcast, oh, it's a goodie for you. Myself and Christian James, CJ, we sat down with Sean McConville and Stephanie Jolland to talk about their indie films and how they get them made. It was a really enjoyable chat. We sat down at Greenlit Head Q which is the new crowdfunding um, platform for filmmakers. The lovely Pete there, let us use his room. And we sat down there and um, we shot the breeze about indie filmmaking. A little bit about the guys we are chatting to today. Um, Sean, he, he started his career as a special effects technician on massive films, including Star Wars, um, The Phantom Menace, and two James Bond movies, GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies. And then he made his feature film, Deadline. His debut feature film, which he wrote and directed, starring Brittany Murphy and Thora Birch. Um, it's showcased in Berlin, Cannes, and the American film market, where I'm going next week. Not the American film market, Cannes. Yes, I know loads of you are going, and I can't wait to see you all there. Um, and Sean then produced Stephanie Jolan's uh, feature debut, The Quiet Hour, um, which starred um, Dakota Blue Richards and Carl Davies, and is brilliant. It's a fantastic feature film. Both of them are. And it's really enjoyable. And we talk all about that. We talk about how you can raise money, how they do it, the problems in between, the difficulties after you've made your first film. How do you make the second one? What happens in that gap? And what they are doing at the moment to make their next feature film, The Last Moon. 
you're going to really enjoy it. Um, Christian James joined me today. He hasn't been for, on the podcast for a while, but as you know, he's directed the feature films Freak Out, Stalled and Fanged Up. Go check out his work. Do it. Okay, um, this is pretty much your last chance to get into the Rain Dance Film Festival with your film. I don't know how long you've got now. Let me look it up and I'll tell you. The lovely Eleonora sent me an email to say... Yes, here we go. All right. It is... If you don't know about Rain Dance, all around the world, the people who listen to this are lovely, lovely listeners in Australia and Germany and Holland and obviously America. We love you guys. And the UK as well. I'm sure you've heard of it if you're in the UK. Rain Dance is similar to Sundance. But it's raining because it's England. I imagine that's why he called it Rain Dance. Um, it is the boldest uh, and most innovative work from the UK and it challenges the boundaries of filmmaking. Um, they're also an Academy Award and BAFTA qualifying film festival for short films and a BIFA qualifying festival for British films as well. And the late deadline, here it is, is the 31st of May. Yeah, wow, that is fast approaching. It's not long now, a couple of weeks. So submit your film and you, yeah, you... You listening on your bike, on the tube, in the bath. I'm talking to you. You can get 20% off with our discount code RDPODCAST20. Put your films in, your short films in. I think it's really, really good price with that 20% off uh, with the short films. And then your features, get them in. You've got, you know, you've got a good chance. I don't know about that. I have actually no idea what the chances are. (laughs) But... Uh, if you do want to submit to a film festival, Raindance is a great one to get your indie film, especially if it's a little bit different, a little bit off the wall. Raindance is the place for you. RD Podcast 20, you get 20% off. Okay, I have some indie film shout-outs. Some people have been amazing these last couple of weeks. So, I am going to give some shout-outs to those lovely people. We have Malik Inziman, Hero, Joseph Dewey, Robbie McCain, Gary Coleman... Uh, Lucinda Sinclair, Film Ferrer, Charlie Burridge Jones, Alexander, uh, that's all I know his name is on, on Twitter, it's at directors, um, and One Voice, One Mike, Kev Heads, and Diane Knight, and Sarah Thomas, and, 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 oh my gosh, there's so many. You guys are wonderful. Thank you, thank you for all your support, especially of the last couple of podcasts, which I know you've really enjoyed. Zach Lipovsky's especially. Um, about how he went from indie films to uh, making studio movies and co-directing. Have a listen to that after you've listened to this. That's the last episode, 107. Get on it. And don't forget, you can win your copy of Shotlister. I think I'm going to announce it uh, Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning. So you've got your last chance. You can go win that. It's pretty simple, the instructions. Go listen to the... So in the beginning intro, I give away what you need to do. There's the instructions. They're there. Go do it. Um, and you could in with a massive chance of winning the Shotlist app, which is brilliant for filmmakers. Uh, really helps you shotlist your films and spread that across to your crew. A vital resource for filmmakers. Designed by Zach himself. There you go. That's last week's podcast. Get on that. So, Boudica, um, we have filmed our first day. I am extremely exhausted. So, we were filming at Chilton Open Air Museum, which if you don't know it, you're a filmmaker out there, check it out. They've got some amazing... It's mainly made for kids to go and experience what it was like in the 19th century, 18th century and further back, including the Boudicca time, which we wanted. Um, But it's also perfect for filming because it's already set up. The set's there. It looks fantastic. It's built. And we had this wonderful roundhouse. We're filming in front of it, sword fighting and a bit of blood. And inside it with the fire and the... Oh, yeah, full on um, in the outfits. And it was wonderful. And it was a tough old day. It's always hard on the first day. But the team were amazing. uh, And I couldn't wish 
for a better group of people to be making a film with so I'm overjoyed so uh, I'll fill you in properly on that next week um, though I will be in Cannes so maybe it'll be the week after because when I'm in Cannes I don't know how I'm going to do everything Robbie my wonderful editor has edited this and producer and he's set this up so uh, thank you and I'm sure he'll be doing the one for next week so that will really help me out Robbie McCain follow him on Twitter at Robbie McCain link is in the show notes link to all these things are in the show notes remember follow us on Twitter at Filmmakers Pod and do why not give us a nice review on iTunes go there subscribe to us there we love you very much thank you for taking the time to listen next week's podcast will be with Alberto Sciamma uh, the director and writer of I Love My Mum. Matt Hookings joined us along with Don Lemoir for that one. Do not miss it next week. It's brilliant because he talks about how we started making films 20 years ago and the difference now and what you can do to make yours as well. Uh, and then the following week, if all goes to plan, is going to be with Jim Cummings. Oh yeah, the director of Thunder Road, um, which is released very soon, and I am super excited. Uh, I should be recording with him later this week. In the gap between finishing Boudicca and going to Cannes, so strap in tight. Look forward to those. So let's get to it. This week's podcast with the fantastic Sean McConville and Stephanie Jolan. But first of all, me and CJ have a little chat because we haven't spoken to each other for a while. I hope you enjoy this episode 108 of the Filmmakers Podcast. CJ, mate, how are you doing? Hi, Giles. Good, thanks, buddy. How are you? I'm all right. I'm Good. all right. Prepping for Cannes. Mm. I'm very excited for that. How long are you out there for? Uh, four days. Five nice. days. Yeah. And what's your plan? Uh, I am got meetings set up. I am doing a talks over there. Well, it's a talk. I, I'm doing like a make your film. I know this already, but I'm, it's because now I'm no, setting really you up. Nice. It. It's it's me yeah. up. Yeah. So professional. And then you ruined it by yeah. saying oh, it. No, oh, it's meta. Meta. Um, yes, we've got all that going on. Mm. And we're uh, myself and Dan are there talking about Food for Thought. So I'll be doing that. And you're fully financed? For Food for Thought? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. We, yeah. St- we obviously raised all that money on the, uh, the campaign. Yeah. yeah which is so great. now you're out there just... Talk about what you'd be doing yes, and looking for some get it going. distribution potentially. Yeah, talking to distributors and sales agents while we're over there. Cool. This is really cool. What about you? What have you been doing? I'm not going to Cam. Um, why? Because why am I not going to Cam? Um, because I always feel you could have, like if you have a specific project. I have a few projects in development, mm-hmm. but not one I think is Cam ready or a point where I want to. I think you've got to have a certain amount of. Um, uh, you know, there's got to be a certain amount of momentum already behind it, like yourself. So you've got mm. money or some money, yeah. and this thing's happening. I think there's a good time to be at can. But for yeah. me, I like to have a bit more traction rather well, than rather than I've got an idea and a potential star or something. You know. I know what you mean. And the dare will be there with Millennium Films, and uh, Serial Killers will be there. Yeah, so, it's so great. suddenly I've got a few things that you mm. can talk about. It's worth going. Yeah. yeah, you feel busy rather than walking around the closet going. Uh, everyone else is doing something really good. I know, I'm just, yeah. yeah, I'm just kicking my heels. With projects in your pocket. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I know, I've got all this stuff. It's amazing. But other yeah. than that, um, commercials and stuff. By the time this comes out, I'll have shot the, the teaser trailer for yeah. Boudicca. So that's exciting. You had, to, you had to better my commercials, didn't you? Doing yeah. commercials. Like oh, I'm you now. were saying you were doing commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, some nice ones. What can you tell us? Uh, called- what have I done? Uh, some no. stuff with Liverpool. And you're not a fan. What, I'm a massive Liverpool fan. Liverpool FC at the club. Okay. So is this is going to be some bad blood now. This is a place in the north of England for those who aren't uh, English based yeah and um, and as I said before in the podcast I know nothing about sports so naturally I'm a go-to guy I love that they a keep lot of sports, you. Uh, and now they're in the final of the Champions League which is supposedly incredible. so yeah amazing congrats guys congrats my mate Jurgen Klopp who uh, you know I gave him some tactics and stuff and told him uh, you know mm. 
how to improve things, and he did. And it works. So there we go. Thanks, CJ. Thanks for joining us today. It is my absolute delight to welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast our guests today. It is Sean McConville. Yes. And Stephanie Jarland. Yay. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us here. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, we are in Greenlit's little place where they do the masterclasses, and you're in the middle of doing one at the moment. It's like a Kickstarter, but it's just for filmmakers. It's called Greenlit, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, and you're on their course right now, right? Yeah, we're, we're doing it. This is the second of two weeks. Uh, last week, the first week, we, we, we learned a lot, marketing, mm. raising financing. So it was really great to hear Peter talking about that. And yeah, and uh, we're here because we are currently financing uh, The Last Moon, which is Sean's next film. So it's a psychological horror. That's amazing. So you thought that this is a great way to learn about the whole kickstarting crowdfunding campaign and Greenlit's the perfect Yeah, we, we both went to UCLA film school a number of years ago and both lived in LA. I was there for almost 10 years and I just learned the difference between, you know, the US and Europe and mostly the the US is just very, very entrepreneurial about raising financing for filmmaking. There are no, not that I know of, there aren't any grants, there's no BFI. There, yes, it's part of the reason why the American Pavilion mm. can charge you, you know, $150 or whatever for a pass, yes. whereas all the other pavilions are free because they're all uh, European. Um, and obviously all the European countries are funded by government yeah, funding, subsidized, you know, subsidized uh, whether it's lottery funding or tax funding or whatever it may may be. Making movies in the US, it's every project is like an entrepreneurial endeavor. It's like starting a restaurant or a business. And if you don't sell enough, you know, buns or whatever, you go bankrupt. Yeah. And there's nowhere else to go for it. So we kind of learn to, to approach this in an entrepreneurial way. And the consequences of living there is that we we have some U.S. equity investors for our project, which great. is great. Yeah, um, uh, it's a relatively small budget film, uh, and we want to do the crowdfunding to sort of add to that to enhance it. And with Greenlit, you know, one of the things that Peter's doing, which is is, is different and fantastic for filmmaking, is he's doing for equity investment mm -hmm. you know kickstarting indiegogo as you know it's for uh donations and rewards yes and one of the problems with that i think is that it's only as big as your social circle so if you don't have you know 10 million twitter followers or whatever mm -hmm. you soon kind of exhaust your social circle certainly in my case i'm not big on social media also because it's a donation and a reward you're less likely to get bigger amounts of money so it's it's anything from a pound or to a hundred pound maybe mm -hmm. and i follow it a lot and i rarely see those buttons clicked where you, you get if you donate five thousand you get an executive producer credit or two thousand or three thousand mm -hmm. it's so rare i've never seen it even on really good films that were successful like blue ruin and the babadook so the great thing with crowdfunding for equity ownership is that you're more likely to Two things. One, reach outside of your social circle because you're going to reach people that are doing it for investment purposes, not just kindness. And also because they can potentially make a profit, you're more likely to get like five or 10 or 20,000 mm. pounds investment, you know. So you need less investors. Um, so that's one of those long winded way of saying why we're really interested in working with Greenlit. This idea of combining traditional crowd investing and 
and the option of, of mm. actually getting uh, investors as well. Yes. So, yeah, yeah it makes sense. Well, yeah. also you show to your investors that you've gone out there and raised some money yourself. Yeah. And that's vital. You haven't just sat there and gone, oh, can you get money? Or oh, we want just your money. We've also raised, even if it's 20 grand. So it's designed uh, to be made well on mm-hmm. a budget. And what I mean by that, as you guys will know, is it's few characters, one primary location, yep. minimal special effects. It's a supernatural uh, horror, a horror film involving a werewolf, mm. and in the, the the werewolf creature doesn't come into it in, until the third act. So we kind of minimised as much as possible um, the creature effects that we need, and we have Millennium effects doing the, the nice. creature who did Harry Potter and the yeah, War of the Apes yeah. and all the Doctor Who, uh, and uh, you know even though it's a small film, that's great. Um, so we we have two two thirds of that budget already just from U.S. equity, and we're going to can you know to to try and fill that remain, remainder up. Can you say um, sorry? Can you say what, what is the budget you're aiming for? Yeah, one one fifty in pound, one hundred fifty thousand yeah. UK pounds. Mm, so you've but already raised a hundred. A hundred, yeah, yeah, pretty much great. ninety to a hundred. And and these this is before casting. Mm. We don't have a sales agent, right? Um, you know, we haven't got any key crew attached. How did you make well, It's quite impressive, isn't it? Because you often hear, certainly more nowadays, that it's, you know, have your idea, get a cast, you know, get, get a key cast member attached and then go out and start finding your money. So it's great that you've already done that and sort of gone against the grain, as it were. I certainly hear a lot that it's, you know, have your star or have a star or have a name, then then chase the money. The, the issue is as soon as you have a star, mm. you're budget balloons and it's going to be very hard with a proper star a level star to make a movie for 150 mm. and then then you're going to be you know looking for one you know two or three four million pounds or mm-hmm. which is quite challenging so the idea is if you look especially with genre films if you look at movies like art which uh it follows um they they want Massive stars no. when you know, at the beginning, obviously now they are stars. But so the idea is is to find great, you know, a, a great cast. But in genre, it's really more about the concept, the execution, mm-hmm. how you know, effective it is, more than the actual stars in it. So, yeah, it's totally, totally yeah. acceptable to make a horror film, a genre film, even sci-fi to some extent, with no cast at all, because it is about the story. And if the story's good enough, then people are going to invest on that and in, and on you guys or whoever it is who's directing producing it. So with this one you're directing i i wrote Sean, and will direct it as stephanie's producing, producing it, so. if you're making a film for let's say over five hundred thousand, i think you do need to mm. do things in a traditional way which is get a sales agent yeah. um a post house deal you know you have a finance plan using the uk tax credits uh and get cast because you won't get sales agents unless you can boast about the cast the films that we aspire to make they will have one thing in common so the films are like the babadook the witch Mm-hmm. Let the right one in. It follows, it follows yeah, all these films. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're supernatural uh, and they're all about the human condition as well. So they're not just like gory slasher thrillers or whatever. Yeah. They are human condition dramas. And these are films that were very, very successful critically and financially. They played at Sundance. They played at Cannes, mm-hmm. Toronto, Midnight Madness, all the prestigious festivals. And they won awards and they were you know, financially successful as well. And the one thing these films all have in common, as Stephanie touched on, was that they didn't have known actors in at the time. Now, one of the main reasons of making it for 150, it's a, it's a small enough amount of money to be able to get it 
without playing the game of getting a sales agent attached and, yeah. and actors and casting directors and all these things. Um, so we can truly make it independently. And that's mm. really what we're interested in at the moment. Which is amazing. How did you manage to raise that hundred grand in the first place from American money? Because people out there will be going, brilliant. Now all you need is the other 50K, do a crowdfunder. So you need 25K, you're pretty much making it. Or you might do a soft deal with a post house, whatever. You can now make the film. How did you get that original well, hundred? Well, well, firstly, this is hard equity. So we will do deals with post houses and we will access the UK tax credits and all. So all, all this is going to be leveraged mm -hmm. to where, you know, it'll be a lot more than 150. Um, so, but what we do have is hard equity. And the way we raised it is uh, by, we, we create a, a business plan and we work really hard. Stephanie has an MBA in business administration, Voices. which is helpful. Congratulations. Yeah. Aside, become useful. aside from being a, 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 a filmmaker. Yeah. And as I say, we both spent a lot of time in LA. So we, you know, there's so, that's so understanding of it's a business out there, you know, Much even so the older yeah. actors yeah. and, and, yeah. Uh, and the, direct, the, the business people as well as artists. And I'm actually quite hopeful about Europe and UK and genre, because even if you look at, you know, Cannes, there are like 12 movies, which are actually, they are genre films that are, you know, were selected this year, you know. Mm -hmm. Not in the main sections, but in a, you know. Uh, actually, no, the, the opening film is... The opening Jim film is actually Jim Jarmusch's film. It's a zombie not, not only is it the opening film yeah. at Cannes, it's a zombie, comedy mm. zombie yeah. movie. Yeah. It's in the Palm Door, and, and which is amazing. And 12 in, um, you know, uh, the critics, uh, Fortnite. So yeah. it's just all, you know... A really strange byproduct yeah. of now, this, yeah. so like uh, your mainstream Hollywood movies just being franchises and that middle ground drying up as a horror suddenly become really popular because it, it's basically now the rule is... Either mm -hmm. mega budget franchise movie or low budget horror. And those yeah. are the two things succeed. So from nowhere, horror, which is always elevated kind of, horrors, yeah. suddenly come up. It was ignored, it's but now. And, and the critics are, are embracing it because if you just think, you know, basically The Shape of Water, mm. Guillermo del Toro, it's basically a creature feature, right? It's mm. a, 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 a woman falls in love with, <laughs> a, with yeah. a fish. Yeah, yeah 10 years a, ago, 20 years Oscar ago. Oscar nominated nah. 13 times, right? That's mm. the same as Titanic and Ben-Hur wow. and whatever. It's mm. a creature feature. Yeah. And then Get Out won Best Original Screenplay, you know, and that's a social suspense horror. Totally. So I, I think, you know, we, we're loving it because this is what we want to do, elevated genre films. Um, and... In the last 10 years, I'd say, they've been embraced by critics, which means that the art cinephiles love, you know, will watch the films as mm -hmm. well as your fanboys and girls. Um, which is great for Which indie means a bigger audience, basically. Totally. Which is yeah. great for indie filmmakers now who are going, it's, a, it's some, there's a chink in the doorway. There's a chance to go, oh, actually, I've got this script I've written that probably wouldn't have got made 10 years ago. Now it's got a chance of getting made. Yeah. You know, people will put money into it because they're seeing returns. Even though it's a different kind of return now with a whole H4S on planes, you know what I mean? There's just yeah. a different way of making the money back, but it still can do it. But it's yeah. a Netflix deals, uh, now soon to be Apple deals. The, the figures for Bird Box on Bird Netflix. Box, yeah, yeah. Apparently 135 million people watched the film. You mm. know, fascinating thing is even movies like The Avengers, at the end of the day, of the 100% of people that will ultimately see that movie, meaning yeah. on, on all platforms, actually only 5% of them see it at the cinema. And I think it's because people like to do that. They like to stay at home. Cinemas can be noisy and annoying places, even though I love the cinema. Yeah. But you're right. People will watch it at home now. People will pick up your movie, you know, and go, right, I'm going to watch this, The Last Moon. Um, and, and still, um, you know, whatever that amount that I've seen uh, Avengers that in the opening weekends, 
you know, still you will still get another ten times that watching at home, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, on the other platforms. Yeah, I suppose so actually we should jump into your origin stories. Yeah. But as in, so I suppose breaking in. How, how, you know, where did you start? Oh, okay. Well, I got into this later in life, completely random from another business. I was in construction. So I had these skills where I could do electrics and use milling machines and lathes and, and, and carpentry. In the, when was it? The mid-90s, there was a shortage of film crew in the UK because of the pound against the dollar or the other way around. Mm. And so they were recruiting people from outside of the business. And I was one of the people that, was fortunately got a job working on Judge Dredd, nice. um, the Stallone movie mm. at Shepperton Studios. And I basically just fell in love with that Film being on set yeah, being on and seeing the actors and the, the lights. Yeah, and I was like, so just good. like in, it's like Disney, Disneyland for adults. And ultimately I ended up working on 12 or 13 or maybe 14 studio type films, uh, mm. two James Bond films, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, and uh, basically, after working on those films, I started reading the screenplays and thought, oh, that looks really easy. You know, <laughs> I, I'd like to do that. So after earning some good money working on Star Wars and so on, I took a, a year off to write. Um, and during that year, I found out about this MA in screenwriting, which I subscribed to. Mm -hmm. So that was for two years. So now it's three years sabbatical. And before graduating the MA, I applied to UCLA the screenwriting program there and got accepted. Amazing. So I went to, I sold my flat and went to LA, went to UCLA for two years. And when I graduated there, as I mentioned earlier, I stayed in LA for another eight or nine years. Okay. So now jumping back, how did you get into it? How, where did uh, you oh, come into it? Yeah. That. Okay. I come from a more traditional actually background. I was, uh, I used to, to be a, a screenwriter uh, for TV yeah. in, in a story editor. Oh back, really? Back how did you into that? I mean, how yeah. was it? So I started do, by doing something very practical. So I, I went to business school because mm -hmm. I sounded like more grounded and writing i didn't know was that just did you have anyone in the family it's in the business no, no, or is no, it just my, you... it's, I, I come from a working class uh and background did they want like, you to do screenwriting or no it... so my dad was in the shipbuilding industry you know yeah. as a welder mm -hmm. my mom was a housewife so and i was pretty much growing up in a hamlet so it seemed it was very sensible to do something practical to mm -hmm. escape the hamlet and then maybe do something with my life after graduating i realized that the, you know, the jobs were quite boring i know i, I majored in finance but so i decided to write and um because i didn't know any better i just knocked on doors and somehow mm. starting getting gigs as a writer and as a story editor amazing um in, what, in who tv for? in tv yeah well, who for in, in france or yeah in, in france, france yeah or you know it was what, in what, you, yeah. what sort of i suppose to knock on those doors and get those jobs had you written anything or done something uh, to... well it's funny it was uh, i don't know if it's a combination of just because of past 10 years things have, have really have changed uh, massively in the sense that there's so much more competition where more screenwriters where, where more screenwriting samples mm -hmm. floating around but it seems like when I started out, it was actually, you'd only needed a couple of samples. Yes. And they weren't even that good, actually. In hindsight, they were awful. But I didn't know any better. And I had no doubt. So it was, it's just somehow it worked. Wow. They were raw, maybe. It was the rawness it's just of it. Just this idea of, you know, when you get st started, you have no, you have no idea that it's going to be challenging. Mm. So you just go for it. And yeah. maybe because... It's the just, best way, I feel. The Same as directing. Way. You never directed a movie and you go on set, you're just like, right, I'm just going to do it, even though it's scary. And you don't tell yourself. You, no, you you're like, doubt. oh, my well, screenplay is actually shit. It, I mean, it was, I mean, it was um, yeah. embarrassingly bad. Right, right. But uh, after uh, um, uh, several years mm -hmm. writing and 
Yeah, and TV and, and, and uh, down. life. Yeah, <laughs> we're working on, on a lot of animated series and you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, live action stuff. I realized, okay, but I really want to make movies. But I love genre films, science fiction and horror, and uh, also it's, it seems to be changing these days. Um, France is not really like a, a, a hub. A, yeah, it's not a, a great hub yeah. for genre. So that's sure. why I decided to go to UCLA for a couple of years to study film and you know, learn how to write in English and just move, you know, transition from being an English, you know, uh, French language writer to an English language writer. And I was, you know, and yeah, it, that must have been an interesting switch then from suddenly now you've got to write in a different language because you've got to get the nuances right and the tone. I mean, how was that for you? Well, I guess it's actually quite interesting because this is the idea that when um, you start writing a different language, you become a different person as well. So, um, and so actually you, you, you become like a sponge and you listen to the dialogue and what people are saying it, you know, around you mm. and how they're saying it. And somehow it works. And re- um, stage readings with actors. Very good. You know, yeah. It's so important to yeah. do that. Actors yeah. are brilliant at their character. Yeah. So when they've got their character, they'll right at the end, there's something you've totally forgotten about. They'll go, what happens to my character? And you go, oh, right. Yeah, it's a good point. They got lost somewhere in the mix. Yeah, 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 just just disappeared. We rewrote that and we forgot that that didn't have any. You used to have a cat. What happened to the cat? You know what I mean? Anything like that. And actors will bring that, which is really, I think, vital to do uh, readings if you can. It's hard because if you've got to know actors to do that. And if you haven't made it. We did a a stage reading last week of Mm. The Last Moon. Yes. Which I was quite anxious about because, you know, stage reading... I was anxious because we had an audience of about 60. Oh, wow. So we did it at the London College of Communications mm. in Elephant Castle. And basically the professor I know that got us the room invited all the students along. Did you know about that at the time? Did you just turn uh, up I, I did, people there, I did which is why I spent, you know, a month of anxiety um, mm, worrying right, about this. Totally. But also we, you know, it, it, I love, love that word used earlier, CJ, about momentum. I, I, I'd like to comment on that because, um, you know, when once people, all these students would come and we started to invite all our buddies and so on. And ultimately it ended up being about 60 odd people. And I was sort of petrified about it. Actually, the actors ended up performing. Mm. And because the script, there's there's some humour to it and it's, uh, you know, and it's a contained werewolf story. So there's some black humour to it, but also it's very, very sort of Hitchcocky and sus- suspenseful, mm. um, which is our intention. Our Mission was like, imagine if Hitchcock or Polanski were to direct a werewolf movie, what might it be like? You know, so we figured it would be a lot of suspense and tension and atmosphere, mm-hmm. a few characters in one location. So that's how we kind of mm. sort of designed it. But anyway, the reading, everyone was kind of on the edge of their seats and was, uh, yeah. they all stayed behind. Amazing. So it created just for a reading quite a bit of buzz mm. and excitement. And it was really yeah, did you film it at all? Did you? We we did actually. I mean, we recorded it with mine. It's good for you to hear. That. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Works. That's that's, yeah. that's why we did it. And yeah. even in terms of like, if you want to, if you have storyboards, or whatever you want to do, like an animatic, it's like you can't. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but we and we created a questionnaire, a ten-page questionnaire. So it was like a preview screening where I just wanted to qualify a few things about the script. You know, did you yeah. like the ending? Did it slow down anywhere? Who, 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 you know, what do you think the theme was, and all the, which would really help me as I rewrite it. Um, Something that might be interesting to talk about would be why so many directors don't make a second film. Basically, my broad theory is that if you don't 
make a film that is either critically successful, meaning it gets into Cannes or Midnight Madness or a very prestigious festival, and or is is not financially successful, you know, the investors get paid back and on paper it made lots of money, you know, then it's 10 times harder to make your second film. Mm. In other words, you really have to hit it out of the park to get people running after you to make a second film. If you don't, uh, if you make a good film, but not good's not good enough, you know, you're starting from ground zero again. And, you know, it can just, just take forever. And I'm going through that at the moment. With The Last Moon, there's a lot of momentum going at the moment. And, and a lot of people love the script. And that's what I meant by CJ mentioning momentum, because I think that's a crucial word. Mm. And w- once you get a project going into a sort of momentum phase, you know, that's your time to to really push things forward to start casting to go to can and and so on um but i think if you don't make if your first film is not really doesn't knock them dead so to speak it's really really difficult yeah because you expect it's gonna be easier let's face it right you make your Mm -hmm. first movie like my first movie was made the production budget twenty eight thousand euros up what? Yeah, yours actually because it was not. You made that for twenty eight thousand yeah. euros for for the production budget, and of course was put put back. But still, 50K. that's incredible. And you're like, yeah, I wow. was. You know, it was an achievement. It was quite ambitious it was a visually, well and done. it looks good. And um, and really and you know, it was on Sky Cinema. And you're like, surely, mm. it's gonna be easier. Someone's and this is going notice what I can do for so yeah, a, yes, yeah exactly. for for no money mm. and you know you have to go back to square one pretty much and, and, yeah. it, and just it did well also, it, it sold to 15 countries yeah, for, for um, such a small film it did yeah. it, it did was on really movie, well. Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and still I guess we all you know naively expect that it gets slightly easier and you but, but no you've got to knock it out of the park or at least yeah. try but we all try yeah and the problem is when you're trying to make a movie for nothing most of the time, it's really difficult because mm. you then can't get the right crew necessarily. You can't get the right actors. Yeah. But I bang on about this a lot is it's better to make a film than not make a film mm-hmm. that isn't successful because then at least you know what it's like to be in the trenches. And you're learning. You're learning yeah. because what's happened with me is it, it has opened doors. Then it's up to you and your, I don't know, whatever it is that you've got or your projects that you've got, if you can write, to then go, which is exactly what you guys are doing, is to go, yeah, I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to do it my way. Because it is really hard to knock it out of the park. It's almost, you know, it's one in how many, a million, you know? And yeah. It's, it's, yeah. But you're right. If you knock it out of the park, you're flying. You don't need to think about, you know, anything. You won't even come on this podcast. Well, we will. We'll get them on. But, it, <laughs> but we, it is, we, we you know? You. It's yeah. different. CJ's first film, you know, you made it for nothing. You know, pretty much ran Yeah, I think we and, talked about, uh, Stephanie, you mentioned mm. uh, about that you sort of uh, were pointing at naivety. You know, And I think you need that naivety. Mm. We've talked before, I always say... Filmmaking, especially the first film, it's like climbing a mountain. You can't see the top off. You know, you can just see a load of cloud. And then you get up, you get up there, and you get midway. You're like, oh no, the, the, as, as the, worse. As it clears. <laughs> you're like, oh, there's double. There's, there's, you know, the mountain's twice as high as I thought it was. Same Good job I didn't know that because I'm too far. Mm-hmm. Here. I can't go down now. Yeah, I told my mates to go up this mountain, so yeah. I've got to keep going up it. Absolutely. So there's that kind of. Um, you need to be. You, you, you need, need to, to be lucky ten times in a row. Yeah, and naive enough to start it but not stupid enough to make the journey for yes. me because I, I think yeah. I, I, I mean I would qualify myself as stupid enough in many cases but I have met many <laughs> filmmakers I'm like oh you're maybe I mean you're naive which is good but maybe you just need to be a little bit sharper to to go the distance because mm-hmm. you know there are people that eat you alive if you're not careful but um, yeah and get spat and chewed out and you don't get to do yeah, it again yeah and I think but I think it's important to have 
Um, it's definitely important to have a movie than none at all. And if you're if you're three movies down, well, then you're someone that can. It's proven three times over now that you can run that marathon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know maybe in many cases, and I certainly went went through this where the the barrier, the psychological barrier, is, is your own self. You know, because mm. you can lose confidence. You can lose, uh, you become cynical. And so I, I, I'm not cynical, but I certainly lost confidence and it, and it takes time to, to rebuild it. And, you know, in my own case with Deadline, I'm very proud of the film for, for lots of reasons that I had incredible crew. It was made for two and a half million. So it's a proper film, albeit That's a big budget low budget by film. Hollywood standards. It, mm. it was still a proper film with a hundred crew and so on. The sound designer won an Oscar. The DP, you know, is a prominent DP. And the actors, you know, were Big amazing. Big actors, Murphy. Um, and, yeah. the, I'm, I'm always the first Flora to admit Birch. the floor of that film, mm. and, uh, and I wrote the script, is the script. And, and, you know, the financing happened so quickly that, that the development part got overlooked. And if I'd have worked harder on development or if I had a – a producer at the time that was um, more story um, oriented or, or, or savvy. Um, they were an incredible executive who got the money, but they didn't really understand, you know, story development. To be um, fair to you, I mean, uh, when I met Sean in LA, um, he, he told me, well, I'm making a small movie for 50K, it's one, one woman, one house. I was like, oh, that sounds yeah, actually that doable. doable. No yeah. more bullshit. Well, no, it's not bullshit because you hear so much bullshit in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds great, actually. And uh, a month later, you actually had a proper budget. You had no time to develop the screenplay, and they so, wanted to do it. it was so it went a, from a 50K film to yeah, a... Yeah, Quickly say how it happened, because yeah, it's, it yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. it's in, inspiring to people, because really be. this, this shit does happen. I spent five or six years in LA trying to get an agent manager as, as a screenwriter, and I did have an agent manager, but and had some options, but I never sold a spec script, which was my mission. And then I, I woke up one day and thought, thought, fuck it, I'm just going to write and direct myself. Good. And I thought, okay, has someone in my 40s at, at that time going to direct a feature film who's never directed a short film, a commercial, um, a TV, Pilot, nothing, nothing, a promo, nothing. nothing. Wow, wow. So, and, and the first thing I thought was that I'll write a script that I can make for no money. So I wrote Deadline, four actors in one house, mm-hmm. and I had someone that I knew I could get $50,000 from, and I could have made it for that. So I went around saying, I'm making a movie, it's $50,000. And I met this producer, and he, he loved the pitch, and he read the script um, that, that night when I met him, and he basically said, oh, I'm going to make a movie for 250. I'll make it for 250. I said, well, okay, that's fine. Well, well, budget you, went up. If you have to. 500% or five, whatever <laughs> percentage. percentages. But then it just, it just happened to be a week later was the American film market, which, as you know, is their version of Cannes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Los Angeles. And he said, shall we go to the American film market with this project? You know, if we do, we'll have to pitch it with a flashy actor. And we came up with Winona Ryder. Nice. And to cut nice a longer one. story short, we basically were in the uh, Lowe's Hotel at a co- cocktail bar getting drunk, and we met this executive producer from Malaysia who had a you know, post house in, in Kuala Lumpur, and we pitched it to him. He loved the idea of the pitch. He loved the fact that we said we, we're trying to get Winona Ryder in it. He read the script that night, <laughs> one o'clock in the morning or something, and we had sushi the next day. And that sushi dinner was um, was basically me being interviewed as the director because I said, 
I'm directing. Yeah. Yeah. And I said all the right things. And he basically said at the end of that meal, if you get Winona Ryder in it, I'll finance it for two million. It was two and a half million because of the tax credits. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So (laughs) we spent about a month trying to get Winona Ryder and she signed on to do Star Trek. So we had to, we knew we couldn't get her. So between myself, the writer director, my producing partner and the executive producer from Malaysia, we drew up a list of five actors that we all agreed. That's great, because now he's interested. Yeah. Now and you've got th- him on the hook. Yeah, and the third person we approached was Brittany Murphy, and she said yes. We, we called the exec producer. We said she wants to do it, and he said, what's your bank account number? So wow. put the money that, in that escrow. Was, and and was point, and then within two months, yeah. I was in Louisiana shooting the movie. And that's a long-winded way of saying, but the downside of that is why... A first draft script ended mm-hmm. up being shot right. um, because we'd only get her for that window of time, Brittany, and so on. And you know, I, 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 I kicked myself because the script, you know, wasn't strong enough. It's a great concept, good idea, but but not de- the script and the characters and dialogue and so on wasn't developed enough. And I kicked myself. But at the same time, I know if I'd have said, "Oh, just let me go off and rewrite," and so on, mm-hmm. the, the money Never probably would have gone would have away. Someone else there you go. Your project, so you've got yeah. to. But that's the point. You took that chance, and even though yeah. now you're slightly disappointed by it, but look, you know what's happening yeah. to you now. And if you hadn't made that, yeah, now it'd be even harder to make the last moon, right? Uh, so, absolutely, and it's, uh, it did well. It just dis- yeah. mostly because. Because of the cast, I guess, and the genre, it sold to over forty territories. So it made it money which, back. Yeah, well, there which, you, go. you know, and it's on the map. It's quite a well-known film it is a well-known in, in, film. in that genre. Yeah. We'll come back to you, Sean. First of all, I want to ask Stephanie in terms of how did the Quiet Hour come about? How did you raise the, you know, in terms of the, the funding you got, and what was it like for you on set to make that? Because you got a good cast as well. Okay, so, uh, well, it came about, again, okay, I was trying to make my first feature film, mm-hmm. as you know, we don't, yeah, and with more money. And I had bigger projects, especially in science fiction, it's easy to have bigger projects, right? Sure. So it was like, okay, it's not going to happen. It kept falling through. Uh, so I decided to write a, uh, a, sh- a film I could make on the budget. And uh, I loved uh, Daph- Daphne du Maurier's The Birds, which has nothing to do with the actual mm-hmm. movie by Hitchcock. It's really about a farmer protecting his family yes. from birds. And I decided to build a story from there, keeping it very, very contained. So it had to be like a minimum amount of characters, one location, yes. which is not easy because, and I knew I couldn't show the aliens because originally I wanted to have some mud and some ideas. And I, I wrote some scenes I couldn't do. I, that was impossible on a budget. So I really wanted to keep them very mysterious so mm-hmm. that we don't see them in, you know, they're in the background. That's good. Because oftentimes when you see them, they're, they're just disappointing. Of course, they always are. They're a, just... they wouldn't care, really care about us. That's why I believe they wouldn't try to interact with us. And mm-hmm. B, um, yeah, they would be like uh, a little green man in, in a suit. Or, I totally, or, yeah, exactly. It just would be horrible. So it's like, that's way more interesting that you never get to see them. Yes. So, um, that's how, yeah, that was the the idea behind it. Okay. Obviously, the fans, you know, some people would love to see the aliens, but actually people who like the film like the fact we don't see them. Yeah, absolutely. But you directed before, hadn't you? You'd made for, uh, shorts. I had made short films. Yes. Uh, Quite a few shorts. You've done, a few short, short films. Well. Yeah. yeah. So basically there was at least a, a kind of an unknown film, so I kind of had an idea of you know, how to organise a shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, I was still very green. And but, did you, sorry, yeah. did you produce and direct? Uh, no, Sean was the main... So no, Sean yeah, was producing Sean still, of course. Okay, yeah. And he, you know, he uh, 
found a, a few small investors yeah. and uh and then we found an amazing farm it was a stud farm in ireland oh wow so um that which i kind of because the movie was uh, the, the house was a character and i knew it, it had to be gorgeous had to be amazing and cinematic and we found a um a stud farm actually one of your friends who is out and you know, lives in ireland found a gorgeous farmhouse so we mm-hmm. decided to shoot it there not, not and, only yeah. did we make it for twenty-seven thousand euros we flew people there and put them up <laughs> that was the main budget because you had dakota blue richards in it so, yeah. Yeah. so that, that was interesting which shows that actually that is it's worth spending time on the screenplay mm. um because once we started casting it was on spotlight and then agents started calling us about the screenplay mm-hmm. which is how we got no, the cast that you got because of with, the strength yeah. of the the script. Yeah, the, absolutely. It yeah. was a very ambitious screenplay mm-hmm. for a such a tiny amount of money. But and did they know? I mean, they probably didn't. How much budget was actually? Being, I don't think they did. No, they we didn't lie, and they didn't know. Uh, we but just it, yeah. pitched it as a micro budget film. Yeah, what, where everyone's doing it. You know, Pro for the love of it, yeah, so to love, speak, yeah. on deferred but basis. It's quite vague um, in terms of, yeah, they probably had no idea we had so little money. I think. Did they want to see what you'd done before, or was there anything, you know, because presumably mm. they don't want to put their clients, you could be anybody, so was there any sort of hoops that jump through to prove um, your abilities as a filmmaker? No, I think the fact that Sean had made a fairly, you know, a, 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 prop, a, a fairly big, not big, but a, yeah, a, so a it was a movie sort of before was really approval. helpful. It was yeah. a stamp of approval. Yeah. So even if they weren't trusting me, I don't know, I guess they were, but um, they were trusting that Sean would keep it on track. Yes. That was my, that yeah. was my What did you do with the actors? What was your process? How did you like to, to be on set? Because I always fa- find that really fascinating. Well, actually, especially for a, uh, in hindsight, <laughs> I would have loved to spend more time rehearsing mm-hmm. with them because I only uh met them the day before and we had you no know, ah wow that's a tough yeah yes, so chatted about the characters um and that was quite yeah it's and then we had 18 days to shoot so obviously um it was you know and two takes per, no, per time. Yeah, that, yeah that's yeah. the so nature of low, you know, na- low so in hindsight i would love because you know, actors spent more yeah, time. Cause actors yeah, because actors need to find the characters, and if it's a, even though they're doing it on their own, you're like, well, it's not the way I wanted to go with it. And yeah. then suddenly, in the first three days, you're yeah. sort of battling against that. Once they get into it, it's and, fine. Uh, but... And it's also where it's really mm. challenging, and we all know that there's the nature of indie filmmaking. But a few days before, you know, right before the shoot, I was booking flights for the crew, right? And, yeah. and you have no time to to really to to be creative and to start you know, a discussion or yes. even on Skype and yeah. I think that I would try to if I you know, I can you no know, avoid having Sean booking flights <laughs> before yeah. the shoot I will and I I'm for, for sure will find because that's you know, the problem with low budget filmmaking there's so many people who have done that I know have done that is that you end up doing everything so if there's a problem people come to you even if it's you're on set and you're trying to direct a scene someone will go yeah we've just dyed this shirt that was supposed to be white red and you're like, well, what do you want me to do about it right now? But then you've got to deal with it. And that's something you've got to get money out of your pocket or whatever it is. And that can be really challenging. And as I a remember director. Sean, uh, he was, you know, 
He was actually, we were on the verge of losing one of the actors. I think they had a better job coming up. And uh, Should we say a, Sean, a more well-paid job? Let's yeah. say that. <laughs> or oh, a paid job, actually. A paid job, yeah, and and uh, Sean was negotiating on the phone with the agent and he was picking up the trash while, while talking with the agent. So that was like so funny, like... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you did well. Though we got, you know, eventually. Yeah, yeah you, you had to do about issue. ten different jobs, I guess. Is the mm. thing. Yeah, it's a small crew, and everyone has to. And, and there's something in. people don't realize when you're making a movie, you know, on on such a small f- uh, budget. They think that's that's your vision as it was, but mm. it's like. As we all know, well, you guys know, it's 10% of what you really had in your mind. That's so true, yeah. You have no time, no money. No, exactly. And the vision of what you want in the shot. We had to, oh, okay. to swap a then. goat for some fish. I mean, that was that crazy. There's a, a goat, goat for fish. Yeah, we yeah. had to swap it you know, some, right. somehow with it. And the fish was gone before. And all. That's a bit out of context there. I mean, <laughs> no. basically, Funny, yeah. we, um, <laughs> we had a goat. On on the shoot for about four days, and the, the local guy who was our production manager, so to speak, convinced the farmer to lend us the goat. He 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 misunderstood Paul originally, and and the the agreement he thought was that the goat was fifty euros a day. Wow! And yeah. uh, we didn't have fifty Highest euros, yeah. so uh, yeah. we also had these fish. What Stephanie was on about was we ended up paying the farmer for his goat with a fish because he likes fish. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. You've just got to think on your feet really quickly, and it's having the the main point of being a director because you're hardly on set as a director. You're very rarely directing unless you're on set, and when you're on set, you've got to think of so many things yeah. and just come up with stuff like that and go, okay, right, uh, okay, it's it's now red top, right? What should we do? Okay, let's, let's say it's winter. Everyone get a jacket on, and you you have to kind of think how can you make it work within and, the scene. And the lower the budget, the, probably the harder it is because mm. it, on properly budget film if you like or an episode of game of thrones or something you know you have whole wardrobe departments and you have whole makeup departments and you do but if there is still something a someone needs something left. you know sorry <laughs> there's still a starbucks coffee that gets left on the table yeah though, yeah you know? oh that happens yeah. absolutely but you know you know the director or the producer or any key people creative people involved mm. don't have to worry about all these things they it's relayed by a third AD or something that we need. It is X, so true. And, you it, can and, just someone, and there's a team of people to go and get it, mm-hmm. you know. On the scene, And yeah. safety issues because uh, uh, what I realised really, because I never shot any action scenes before and I had a big action sequence and yeah. a big for a small film. No, but I know what you and mean. And it was. Yeah. And we were a lot of guns and you're like collapsing and gunshots. And it's actually tricky when we have, you have no time, no money. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, safety issues to take into account. Um, no stunt coordinator. No stunt coordinator. You have to do the whole lot, no, all of it. By wow, yourself. you did. Wow, I've not. I've always had a stunt person around no, because I feel tricky. it's really useful. It was, it so was, you were doing that yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm, um, I, you know, as a producer, I made sure that the well, any people weren't being put at risk in these because no, no, it's no, not worth sure. it. It's yeah, only it's a just, fucking yeah. movie, right? It was, it, yeah. it, it was small. So, yeah. so. You know, there was there no, was no, 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 none of that type of, no. um, yeah. you know, guerrilla style filmmaking where everything, you know, and even though this film was made for such a small yeah. budget, every everything business wise was done properly. Uh, you know, everyone had deal memos. We had a collection and management account for the revenue of the film. Mm-hmm. We had a lawyer. We had an accountant. You know, we did everything properly and that that's because i'm not prepared to not do it properly yeah and plus um, it's not because you maybe you never know it could become the next blair witch or something and you'd be kicking yes. yourself if you, you didn't you didn't do it properly certain things in in, in order you know the, the 
um, chain of title. Totally, chain of title um, paperwork so, is vital. You know, no, and we'll do yeah. the same on the last moon. But um, I was still, it was surprising how time-consuming it can be to choreograph scenes with involving oh, yeah. guns and people mm-hmm. collapsing yeah. and. That I didn't know. And, yeah, it does. It's, we change that. We get blood or some injury. You know, people have to yeah. costume continuity. Like, how do you shoot this? You have to shoot out of sequence to make it work. It's, it's. Yeah. You've really got to think and about green it. Screen really green screen. Yeah, any for, of that. For my spaceships and the explosion and yeah. just like yeah. So I, I remember on the day I felt, it, even though I felt like this was I was supposed to do this, and this is again big studio film. There's loads of crew suddenly turned up out of nowhere, and there's loads of cast. I'm like, right, okay, just pretend it's a short film. Pretend it's just you and your mate, and get on with it. And your head is in that really weird place, and I, yeah, it can be massively overwhelming. But I just pretended it wasn't, and just kind of went, just keep going, keep going, keep going, and. Pretend you know what you're doing. Pretend you know what you're doing. Even though you do, you have to sort of have that air of, you know, confidence. It's like being an actor in a way. You're yeah. acting as a you're director. That's how I felt like it. And, you know, and I, I guess if you act it well enough, you know, people kind of relax. With, with Deadline, I mean, well, firstly, I'd worked on, you know, with next to George Luke because I did standby props for a while as well. So I literally was working next to yeah, you've worked Michael Winterbottom, George yeah. Lucas. What did you learn from George Lucas? In so, regards so, to um, <laughs> you know, he's a genius, incredible genius, obviously of the mm. 20th century and t- 21st, but he's more comfortable with, with the, with the special effects or the visual effects and the mechanics of, of, of making a film. Uh, versus the emotion with the actors and so on, and I'll probably get in trouble. But um, you know, I, I've heard he'll many actors be tweeting, talk, yeah. talk, you know, <laughs> talk, saying the same thing essentially. And you know, other other directors, of course, have strength where they can interact with actors, um, but probably couldn't care less about the, how the camera moves and sure. what lens and so mm-hmm. on. So you know, you get it takes all types. Um, I think you know, some directors like Ridley Scott can prob- probably do both. They understand. Lenses and cinematography and well, lighting, he's but also not an actor's director. I've heard that. Uh, he quite said a few something times. I absolutely loved because it fit, would, fits with my own way. Or as as I make more films, is you know he said he does two takes, one for him and one for the actor, and I just loved hearing that. But of course, when you're working with an incredible you're crew working with and major and incredible actors, actors yeah. very different. You know, you don't need to do five or ten you takes. Yeah, you know, yeah. Although some, yeah. David Fincher would, you know, yeah, 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 that's would, uh, But for both of you, I suppose, how was it so Stephanie you've made a fair few shorts and none I suppose for you none yeah so we're, we're both so being on set with your first features things like you know if a DAP is talking to you about lenses or that you know how was that uh okay well I sh- because I studied film for two years you saw that was good actually because I had to study cinematography so mm-hmm. at least I could, no, I kind of knew, know the basics of cinematography and I was well prepared at yeah. the book, so I actually had a clear vision of, for the film. And also, uh, what well, was brilliant that you say I had to take acting classes. I'm a terrible actor. Oh, that's but great, that was good it's because vital. for half a year yeah. I had to study acting. That was. I wish like, I'd done a bit more of that. Actually. Yeah, that's more and that gave me a bit, uh, some, you know, I get at least of, 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 of a good idea of what you know, it feels like to be on, to be on, 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 in front of a camera. So, um, I think that was the best thing to, you know, for, for any uh, directors. I think it's one of the best things to do, really, to mm. take classes and just to, to be out there trying. Uh, I agree. I think it's vital for every director or producer yeah. to learn what it's like to be an actor just for a little bit. And um, before we wrap up, just a tiny bit of advice for filmmakers out there now. I know you've given us loads, but if there's something that was on your mind, something burning that, you know, what could, what could someone do? 
I'll just say for for someone who wants to be a director as well, you know, a writer director, mm-hmm. um, not not just solely a screenwriter. I would say, you know, write your script that can be made well on a budget because you'll increase your the likelihood of that film being made about a thousand times or a hundred times. Yeah. You know, just because of the reason that you don't need a million or half a million. You know, if you can truly write your buried or your rope or your, you know single location film um it's especially with crowdfunding and all all these types of platforms now it's really uh, increasing your chances of actually getting to make your feature film so that would be my advice for you know because a lot i see a lot of writer directors out there it's unrealistic with their first film that they've got a film that would cost five or 10 or 15 million. They mm. make about five of them a year in, in the UK. Sure. So, you know, they're not going to get those films made with all respect, mm-hmm. so um, with rare exception. But if they write their, you know, Blair Witch Project or whatever it may be, whatever, it can be a drama or a comedy. It doesn't have to be a genre film. You know, they're just increasing their chances of making a film. Great advice. Stephanie? And, uh, yeah, we said, don't rush the process because you only get to be a first-time director once. And, uh, you know, and, and just preparation is key. Spend more time writing, spend more time preparing because, yeah, you, you might have little money, but preparation could trump the lack of, you know, lack, lack, lack of financial resources. Mm, yeah. Guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. You've been so honest and knowledgeable. It's been brilliant. And um, so we can see The Quiet Hour, right? It's available now. Tell us where people can watch uh, it. Amazon Prime. For Amazon in, in Prime. UK, yeah. So in iTunes, yeah. And yeah. what about uh, across the world? Across the world on same Amazon movie. Uh, yeah, this. Um, yeah. yeah, both or, our or, films are on movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, Amazon is probably the best one. Great. And, and Deadline, where can people see same Deadline? Same Amazon, yeah. uh, movie. iTunes. Yeah. iTunes. Yeah. Right. I'll put links to all this in the show notes so people oh, can go brilliant. and click yeah, and yeah, link yeah. it. And there'll be a trailer link as well so you can get okay. that. Okay, great. Um, but where, where can people follow you guys? At Frenzy, okay, we have a Twitter <laughs> account, uh, which is uh, Frenzy Films UK. Frenzy Films UK. UK. Great. And, okay. and our website, uh, frenzyfilms.co.uk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, I know it's that because it was .com and it's just yeah, yeah, it changed. .co.uk. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then we have a website for the lastmoonfilm.com. Uh-huh. So if anyone wants to find out about that film, which is our next film, it's yeah. the lastmoonfilm.com. Perfect. And yeah, is it, what's on there? So if you've got any sort of... That, we have and... previs for the film. Oh, we have uh, mm. a, a ways of people getting involved if they'd like to be involved in, in the ma- making of a film, you know, crew people and so on right. and uh, investors. Um, what else is on there? The script. The, you guys uh, about you guys. Yeah. It's a special website for the film. And your pitch yeah. deck is on there as well? Yeah. Pitch so you can even on go there. on and have a look how to format a, a decent pitch deck. As yeah, well. yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Get on it, guys. I'll put again a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, CJ, where can people follow you? Thanks, Charles. They can follow me at C James Direct. They won't. They never do, but they can. Do they not? No, they do sometimes. They do. They're lovely. I follow the listeners. I'm going to try and get some more. But yeah, they can follow me there. Okay. How about yourself? That's nice. Thank you, uh, CJ. Appreciate oh, yeah. that. Yeah, you can follow right. me at Giles Alderson. Uh, or you can follow us at, at the... No. <laughs> at... Filmmakers Podcast? No. At... Go on. Dying my arse here. Don't know, Giles. Filmmakers Pod. 
Filmmakers pods. At filmmakers Even though I type it into Twitter. <sighs> yeah, no, it comes up automatically. At filmmakers we'll pods, give you that. Guys, We've only it? done 107, 8 podcasts now. So Another 100, I think. You I may get yeah, my okay, sink okay. in. Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, thank you everyone so much for listening. Being prepared is everything. You can make your only film. Know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to do well, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Until next time, Sean, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you. CJ? Thank you. I'm Bean Giles Alderson. (laughs) You've been watching. Um, You've been watching. Uh, Until next Tuesday, as always, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.